Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Hello and welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Steve Grosser with Michael Casey and Paul Vigna, and it's Jobs Friday after this. I'm Lex Friedman. I run my own business, so I know from experience, hiring new employees can be tough. Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 50-plus job sites, including Craigslist, LinkedIn, and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 200,000 businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash WSJ. This growth was very broadly based. Some people say, well, was this just a holiday blip? Absolutely not. The areas that saw very robust growth included construction and manufacturing. The biggest area of growth was business and professional services, which are very well-paying jobs. Before we get started, I'm just going to read a couple of lines from our favorite Wall Street strategist. The November jobs number was a blockbuster. The report will lay to rest any concerns that job growth is slowing. This was clearly a strong jobs report on all fronts. In short, strong report. Did, did I write that? That sounds <laughs> I, I, like that I, I, sounds like me. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like that you, sounds yeah. like me. So, who was that, by Michael, the way? What what, what yeah. is your what was your t- sort of takeaway from this report? And um, you know, how strong was it, in your opinion? Uh, I actually think it was pretty strong. I, I, I so I, I know that uh, I'm going to be uh, ha- have my glass half full take uh, turned into the half empty by my well, colleague no, you're gonna, here, you're gonna, but you're going to have the, maybe not, the maybe not half full take that everyone else has. Right. It's the, 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 maybe, the, yeah. I, I think it's hard to find much fault with this thing. I mean, all within the context, right? I mean, right. we're not talking about uh, we're still nowhere near the 400,000 you know, per month levels that we st- people still say we need to, if we're really going to sustain proper, proper growth here. Um, uh, given how far behind the eight ball we are and how many people are still, despite the slightly improving participation rate, uh, who've just checked out of the labor force. So despite all of that, but we know all that, against those expectations, there's not much that you could say was wrong with it. We had rising wages. We had an increase in the work week. We had uh, you know, st- stable uh, unemployment rate. And we've, and we've certainly just seen a, a, a payrolls number that was bigger than expected. Right. I mean, in no way should we take this report as a signal that we are – this you know the economy is in on you know is back to normal back to you know right, right but it is i mean this report confirms that we are heading in the right direction and that you know it seems to be gaining a little bit of traction right paul yes woo <laughs> Yes, I, I, I mean, I, I look, it's get, not. I think I, I think the thing is, people saw that three twenty one number, the headline number, and it, it looks like a blockbuster number. And when you start parsing this report, and you know, look, Tom Perez, the the, the one interesting, the one sector he talked about, the professional services, you know, those are good paying jobs. He said, well, a lot of those are temp jobs, and a lot of those jobs created this month were temp jobs. How many? I think it was twenty three thousand of the fifty thousand. 
Mm. You know, it was professional service were 50,000, 23,000 were temp. So, you know. And that th- said. Dynamite. <laughs> uh, that, that said, look, this was not, by any stretch of the imagination, this was not a bad jobs report. Even I will say it. Uh, but I, the thing I think it is, I think it's just another report in the trend. I don't think it's a blockbuster. And I think from the headline number, you might think it's a blockbuster. I think all this really did was extend what we've seen, which is, yes, Mike Casey, the wage numbers were up, but they didn't take any kind of meaningful acceleration. So it's not like things are suddenly turning around. That's a, no, no, I don't think... That, that's the only caveat I, I would answer. I don't think... I mean, for the most part, I don't think people are actually really... You know, I mean, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think people are actually really saying that things are all rosy and that everything's fine and we're back to, it's, like, you know... Right, I, I right. Think, I think... Yeah, I don't think is, I'm really fighting against the, the tide I, here. Yeah. And I think everyone... What this does confirm is that, you know, essentially... You, you know, we had like uh, how many? You know, over the years, how many jobs reports have we done? How many of these podcasts have we done? Oh, good yeah, lord! I mean, it's it's sort of like we, you know, we're it's like a we're an emotional pendulum. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, we're back to being <laughs> right, you know, right. the, the Fed is not going to be able to pull back because this is a bad one. Oh, this is a good one. The Fed's going. You know, I mean, this just confirms that the, you know the, the trend. It, it 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 confirms that the Fed is on you know its path is you know they're going to be continuing down that um, you know mid 2015 looks like the interest rates um, you know Mr Casey here has written a lot about this and we you know about sort of the divergence now between mm-hmm. the U S and uh, you know central bank and the rest of the world sort of you know monetary yeah, well, the, policies the, the, well the, the, and that seems to be going to be Continuing, yeah. Well, the immediate play has been a stronger dollar. We've just yeah. seen mm-hmm. that now, and, and and I think that the general take in the in the currency community is, it's hard to imagine that it, getting off this momentum, the dollar just seems to be headed up, and at some point that becomes a problem. I mean, the U.S. is able to withstand uh, the competitive pressures of a, of a stronger currency for longer than others because so much of, the, of GDP is actually domestically generated. But at some point at the margins, the 10% or so that is, is externally exposed becomes problematic when the dollar is rising as far as it is. And it's rising against everyone because the equation is as simple as you just said, Steve. It's like you have uh, one country that's this bastion of growth, and everybody else, bar maybe the UK and Canada and a few others, uh, in in really poor shape. So these numbers just bring home that point in in a pretty strong way, uh, which which means a straightforward you know way to play this as an investor is to think about dollar assets. My my big fear with that is that. I don't know that we're going to be as immune from all the weakness overseas as people say we are. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that we're not, but I just it just seems to me that this idea that we can somehow wall ourselves off from the woes of the rest of the world is kind of Pollyanna-ish. Yeah, and I agree with that. I just I think you know that's something people should be aware of. Now, if, if this is what I really think of the two big takeaways. Um, in terms of just the economy, even going beyond the jobs report, we had two folks on on the the Money Beat show this morning. One was David Leibovitz from J.P. Morgan. The other was Jeff Sout from Raymond James, and they both brought up two different things. That I these are the things I think you want to look for in 2015 if you really want to see signs that the U.S. economy is is on sound sound footing. David talked about you know meaningful appreciation in wage growth, and he thinks that is going to happen in 2015. What he what he sees is a picture where you have the numbers of jobs being created going up, 
and you have the labor force um, – if I get it wrong, it's because I'm getting it wrong right now. It's not what he said. Um, the labor force not growing as much and it's creating tighter conditions in the labor force, which will lead to higher wages. And then what Jeff was talking about was he expects to see a real uptick in capital spending by businesses. He thinks this is – we're finally at this point. We've been looking for both these things for years and these two guys today, speaking separately in different interviews – both pointed to them and said, these are going to happen. I would love for it to happen. I'm definitely of the, you know, I'll believe when I see a camp, but I would love for it to happen. But if you do see those two things happening in 2015, to me, that's, that is a real sign that the economy is getting stronger and will be able to stand on its own two feet. And the Fed will be able to start raising rates and we will be able to withstand that. I mean, to give, you know, to be fair to Paul too, I mean, we've also heard these you know, years. Sort of claims for years. Every year. I mean, Every how, year. How many right. years do we hear, you know, the second half is going to see exactly. GDP, you know, exactly. up the second half? Exactly. Uh, but that also jobs with what we, you also had UBS, um, Mike Ryan on from UBS early in the week. Mm-hmm. His, his outlook said essentially the same things. Right. I mean, he was, expend, he was expecting capital expenditures by companies to pick up next year. He was expecting wage growth to pick right. up next year. And, and that's the real – And the, the, the interesting thing that, that Jeff said was he, he had just, you know, he's – doing his end-of-the-year kind of visits to everybody, all the, the, the firm's clients and institutional investors and that kind of thing. And he said that the message that he seems to be getting out of all these folks is that they're finally looking at their CEOs and saying, look, and this is what the quote was on the show. He said, we're not paying you seven figures just to do buybacks. We're paying you money to invest in the company and build it for the future. That is what has not been happening. Companies have been buying back their own stock. They've been putting the profits into into buybacks and dividends, which are good for shareholders, but not good for the broader economy. It's not good for the the future growth. It's the activist outlook versus the long-term investor outlook. Right, exactly. If the long-term investors are going to start coming in and demanding more of like, you know, and and we did see some of it this year because, I mean, like, you know, you can argue like a pickup in mergers is, you know, companies technically looking for longer future growth, although – yeah, I'm a little cynical about that. But. Well, I mean, mergers don't really yeah, work. But right, I mean, right. the, I think the reason oftentimes companies do it is for the same, you know, it, it, it is more in line with CapEx than it is yeah. with buybacks. Um, but it, one, of, one of the things I wanted, I wanted to get back real quickly to what were their predictions for, you know, what the markets would do next year in terms of like, were they, you know, were they, like, I mean, because – uh, Mike Ryan from UBS, and they put out their report. They're basically like single digits, right? You know, uh, is that in line with uh, Jeff said S and P will be up ten to twelve percent? So not, which is actually one of the higher numbers I've seen out of anybody. Most everybody is going single digits, which to me just says they don't really know and they don't really want to so you know, go for the middle stick their neck out so you go for the middle or, or I, right. mean, like, I mean you could also make the argument and this might be giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt that that essentially after seeing you know, the market go up more than 40% the S&P over more, more right. the past two years that like there's a little bit with the Fed pulling back GDP picking up there's a little bit of a catch up where the valuations need, you know, are going to get um, you know, closer to reality yeah yeah, maybe. I mean, I well, don't know. And on the other hand, to get back to what we were just talking about, Casey, uh, one of the things he said is that he expects that you know the U.S. gets this safe haven status because the rest of the world looks so lousy right now. People are looking for a good investment; they're going to find it here. So that's right. going to drive some uh, money 
and momentum into the stock market. Right. And until, that has been. until until the valuation question right. uh, get, comes into play there, and it's not just the valuation of stocks, but it's also the dollar's perspective, mm-hmm. right? So it might be that you say they see growth here, but to think of it as a safe haven is is it becomes problematic because it's not a cheap safe haven, right? Uh, right. You know, at, at least in, from a foreign investor's perspective. Um, I, I think the one thing that, that we need to think about is, is, is oil here as well, though, mm. because it, it is a little bit of a wild card. Now, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, and I think you know it's, it's hard not to, to argue that net-net, uh, a, a big decline in oil prices is a positive for the global economy because of you know what it obviously does to, in terms of putting po- money in the pockets of consumers but also businesses and, and so forth. But um, it's a, a decline of this size and of this, mag- of, of this speed uh, opens up all sorts of, of potential um, risks that uh, you know, are sometimes unforeseen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you've got whole countries that, that, that are you know, on the verge of, of having financial crises right. as a result of this, obviously Russia being the high-profile one, but Venezuela, Venezuela others, yeah. you know, any, anybody all that's the been small budgeting producers, for 100 right? bucks, you know, are now, are now stuck. And then all the companies are involved. And then just the simple fact that that tells you something about what expectations are for demand. We're very focused on the supply argument right mm-hmm. now. We all know that the U.S. supply has driven this down. Also, the OPEC couldn't get their act together in, in announcing production cuts and so forth. But there's a big demand part to this, and that part is is China more than anything else perhaps, but just generally weak global demand. And so what the oil market is partly telling us is, wow, it's just not quite what we thought it was out right. there. That in itself is a signal. That's a message to, to businesses, to, to, to governments as well on, on what the future holds, and it can affect uh, long-term hiring decisions and everything else. So, you know, there's, there's something about, uh, you know, the imbalances in the world right now that I think could in some way, and again, I'm being vague because the fact of the matter is when these things happen, we don't know how they play out, um, that could, you know, overturn the apple cart uh, at some point. And, I, and I, I don't know, I think that there's a there's a limit to how far, for example, the dollar can go if it, if it just constantly reaches a point that it's telling us a different message about the state of the world, everything could get kind of ugly. I agree with you. And we're actually like, I mean, there is also a point to, you know, talk about politics um, in Washington and, you know, the sort of dysfunction that has plagued us for I don't how, know how long at this point. But we're coming up with, you know, a Republican, um, you know, controlled Congress that is, that is you, know, be, you know, has made it very known that they're going to play very hardball with President Obama and is go- are going to hold, you know, our, you know, a fiscal situation hostage. I mean, that might be, you know, overstating the word, but I mean, you know, to to you know to make their point, mm-hmm. um, that might not happen. Things might get worked out and all that. But it is interesting that you know um, we we've we've sort of had a nice long run of um, you know um, of you know job growth, the economy improving, um, and Washington had sort of been quiet. Yeah. Um, and you know, some folks would say that's a wonderful thing, just to keep them, right. keep them out of no, the business and let the economy do exactly. its own thing. Exactly. I mean, I mean, the, the, I mean, the fiscal, all the fiscal cliff battle, right. you know, the fiscal right. cliff battle, the debt ceiling battles, all these, like, you know, every economist agrees, took yeah. the wind out of the U.S. sales. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it's funny when you look at two situations. When you look at the U.S. government, I think everyone is just so used to the theater of it and so used to the grandstanding and so used to the political footballs 
we really don't pay attention to it anymore. So you could get the GOP up there saying, we're playing hardball. We're going to hold this high, blah, blah, blah. And Obama could do whatever he's going to do in response. And people just, they don't believe I, don't, I just don't think people believe yeah, it no, anymore. I, I, and not that you can ignore it. I mean, you have to pay well, attention to it. I, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, did have an impact. Uh, but and so you uh, but I'm not talking about necessarily, and I want to get back to actually Casey's point. I'm not, I, I'm not talking necessarily about the markets and investors. I'm actually talking about like companies and what mm. they're going to be making in terms of their investments. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the uh, regulatory, the regulatory environment, the tax environment, you know, um, health care. I mean, if Obamacare becomes, you know, uh, you know, goes up, uh, is up in the air and, you know, people are questioning. Yeah. These are all things that matter when companies are, you know, making decisions on hiring, making decisions about, you know, investing mm-hmm. in, um, you know, these things. You can't, If you can't model it out, you might not be, you know, do a big that's expansion. Good point. That's a good point. And that's what I, you know, I, I, you know, I wonder if that could actually, have, you know, sort of hold o- back Although the you, could, you could simply argue, though, that that the only kind of surprises to come in that are positive, right? I mean, I mean there's not expectations of a positive surprise, but but what's priced in is is that a lot of that is dysfunctional. The Positive surprise would be, for example, a, a, a tax deal, right? So that yeah. there, there is, if they end up rewriting they, the yeah. code, if they deal with this problem of the excessive exactly. corporate rates and end up, you know, solving the problem of loopholes and everything that we know has been pretty much a, agreed by everybody across the political spectrum, but they just can't get their act to do, uh, we may no have a to, windfall. No, no one wants to give. You know the, the other one of the victory, right? And right. so basically, you know, everyone's which which really does speak to the failed negotiating tactics of both sides, yeah. because that's the sort of thing that a smart politician can resolve. Exactly, you know, because there's, there's no there's not a lot of ideological difference here. There's no. just simply, as you say, who, who wants to claim the spoils? Um, and, and so, if you assume that that maybe some smart negotiating types in this new Congress could find a way to do a deal, then maybe there's some there's a positive gain to have there. If there's a if there's a deal on taxes, that's a that that, that, that I think is unambiguously that, 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 positive yeah. for the market. I mean if you if you if you can solve that problem and get it through. Right. Right. It's be, possible, you know. I think that's nothing to be you shouldn't write that one off. So uh, you know, I guess I'd like just you know quickly round this up, but you know, what do you, what do you think I mean we're going to be looking at to the end of the year. I mean, this looks like this is setting up to be a nice sort of, you know, the typical Santa Claus rally into, uh, you know, the new year. Yeah, I think I think for the market, uh, unless something, you know, big, ex- almost, you know, literally explodes overseas, unless something really big happens, they're going to coast, they're going to coast into New Year's Eve. The market is set. The picture is set. Nothing is going to come to disturb it. Retail sales, that'll be interesting, but we won't know for sure whether or not those are good until after the, the year's over. So I think even if you get to this kind of anecdotal stuff that retail sales might not be that strong, I don't think that's going to upset anything. So I think the market is pretty set for the rest of the year. They took a nice – and a number of retailers took a nice beating yesterday. Yes. Yes, they did. Uh, but that was also oftentimes uh, you know, uh, earnings-related. Right. Right. But I mean – look, look, the retailers are under pressure. Yeah, yeah. They do not have a very good situation. Even if people are out there spending money, they – their entire industry has been upended by the internet, by online sales. They are all forced into offering discounts that just cripple them. 
in some cases literally cripple them. They're not in a great situation. Right. But that's a different story from saying the market's going to oh, yeah. do well or otherwise on the basis of holiday sales because yes, all of absolutely. that you – know, as a gross aggregate demand question, that money gets spread across a yes, much wider absolutely. group than that. And I think that it's pretty hard to imagine – that this isn't the best uh, you know, layup we've had for holiday sales for a long time. I mean, everything is kind of falling into place, mm-hmm. right? Lower gasoline prices, jobs are coming back. It uh, doesn't look like the, the weather scenario at this stage is too, is too nasty. I mean, it, it, it's a so, – so in some respects, in that sense, the, the, the risk is to the downside because in terms of expectations on retail sales – and as again, yeah. I mean broadly, not for retailers as a group, mm-hmm. but for the whole economy – the risk is that for some reason, you know, shoppers are still saying, no, I'm, I'm going to wait or, or whatever. No, I mean, uh, you, you know, we, Paul wrote about this, uh, <laughs> you know, pretty much the whole week leading up right. to Black Friday. I mean, everyone was expecting, or not everyone, but a, a large number of people were expecting this to be the best Black in a Friday. decade. No, right. it, was, I mean, it really wasn't. But no. then that, I, think that, I think that whole structural change in the way, you know, online's taking over, I think that's a pretty reasonable argument in this case. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't it think is. that's just I mean, whitewashing it. I think there, there really is a very, Black Friday is meaningless. I right. Mean, it's become right. meaningless. And so, well, that was the other thing, too, is know, it's not just being as because of online, it was also because everyone you know started their Black on the Friday, Thursday, yeah. right? Right. Or or, or like, a or, week before, or, week before, or two right. weeks before. Or on oh yeah, absolutely. Right, right, right. Black um, Friday is a completely manufactured carnival event. That's all it is now. So I'm gonna lay, I'm gonna give you guys a layup before we go. So how did you know the big Bitcoin holiday sales? <laughs> It, oh, it was a record. It was a record. It was a record. What would you expect? Well, you expect they've only been doing it for a year or two. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin Black Friday was great. That was on Saturday, though, wasn't it? Or was it on it was on, Every on day Friday. is Bitcoin was, Black Friday. It it, no, they did do it on Friday. They yeah, actually Friday. had a little, you know, their own little Bitcoin Black Friday event where they try to get Bitcoiners to go out and spend their money. So Couldn't, I think, what was it? Wasn't the number like 300 million KC? I mean, it wasn't very big. This thing, I heard 300 million. Yeah, something like yeah. 300 there, and there, change. If there was a certain book that was available for the people to it buy, might have been it might have been a bit higher. It might have been, just yeah. a bit. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> well, I think we can end it there. This has been Steve Grosser with Michael Casey and Paul Avenia. Thanks for joining. You've been listening to the Money Beat Podcast. Stay connected to the Wall Street Journal Radio Network by following us on Twitter at WSJ Radio.